It's time for the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Shondell Grand. And right now we've got a huge selection of brand new Mazdas with exciting spring incentives across our entire lineup. Plus, you can buy your new Mazda completely online with our exclusive no-brainer checkout. Don't miss the spring sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Welcome to the Shark Season Ending Roundtable with Dan Rusinowski and Brett Hedekin. Now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. All right. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the Sharks Audio Network as we take a look back at the season that was and the offseason that will be. I'm Ted Ramey, joined by Dan Rusinowski and Brett Hedekin, of course, part of the broadcast crew for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, gentlemen, happy offseason, although as uh, Dan and I were ruminating before we got going here, I think we all wish we were part of the postseason that's going on right now. Yeah, Ted, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where you say to yourself, happy offseason, but it's not so happy because because uh, you're not in it. And uh, that's the thing that we're going to miss. But uh, already the playoffs are off to a, a roaring start. We know it's going to be spectacular all the way to the Stanley Cup final. And for the San Jose Sharks, an opportunity to reassess, to uh, look at where things got better, where things need to improve, and to look forward to, to getting back to the dance next year. You know, Brett, obviously, because you've been through it, you um, you read the body language, you see the wear and tear on the guys. How how tired was that team throughout the last month of the season? Of course, April was about 15 games and 30 days while they were dealing with injuries. Did the, did the youth kind of spell that a little bit, or did they look pretty tired to you, a team that was at, at the end of their rope? Well, I think, you know, you look both at, the veterans and the rookies or the young players, you know, you, you can kind of put them into two different buckets. I think the, for the veterans, you know, they've been so used to playing in the Stanley cup playoffs. And although this is the third year uh, consecutively, they're going to miss the playoffs. Uh, there's still that deep down drive to want to get back to those playoff experiences. And they, a lot of these veterans, that's where they want to be. And I know that. Uh, and so when you're not in that dance or you're out of the playoff mix, it does take a little wind out of your sail. So that's that's one bucket you have to kind of think about and, and weigh it out, knowing that, hey, every night those guys are pushing through some of those things, knowing that they're out of it. For the young players, you know, it's their first real chance uh, for some of the rookies and even some of the guys that have been with the AHL Barracuda for some time and finally got an opportunity this season. It's their chance to really feel what the National Hockey League feels like physically, you know, mentally, emotionally, you know, the travel, the pounding, the, the players are bigger and stronger, and you're just not being able to do, you know, some of the things you've always been able to, able to do, whether it be the AHL or the college hockey or, you know, the WHL or wherever. So um, I, I think they gained valuable experience. Did they look a little tired towards the end? Yeah, I think they did. But overall, you know, we know, as Dan mentioned right off the top, it's, you know, what things went well reassess, you know, what things need to get better and, uh, you know, look forward to a, a, a good off season of training, taking what you learned and, uh, you know, come in next year, ready to go. Dan, you've obviously, you know, been here for every second of sharks hockey uh, in, in existence. Um, you got to see more young players than we've ever seen before, more rookies, more rookie games. How was it for you watching these guys develop? And I guess who were the young players that really stood out to you? 
Well, it's always exciting to see these guys get their first opportunity at the NHL level, probably not under the most ideal circumstances when you have 18 rookies playing uh, during the season and a whole passel of those playing in their very first NHL games and getting their first NHL points. But uh, but to see the way that, that that some of those guys did step in and develop was very satisfying. And I think you really have to carry that back to the last couple of years for a couple of them. Sasha Shemoljevsky is a good example. He's a guy that, that that's had some NHL's experience before this season and, and was in the American Hockey League. He'd come to the AHL a couple of times at the conclusion of his junior seasons. And I really think he showed a lot of development this year. You, you can see he's one of these guys that, that gets you excited because – you can see him thinking on the ice, and that's the only way I can describe it. You, you see him uh, uh, see the, seeing the decision that needs to be made before it needs to be made, and then he attempts to make it. It doesn't always work, but it works more often than not. He's in the right place at the right time. You know, that's one of the things you can be. You can be uh, either stronger than somebody, faster than somebody, or smarter than somebody. And this guy is is going to be have a career that uh, shows that he's smarter than somebody. That's what's going to to get him to to the NHL level on a more permanent basis. And then. Um, I was uh, really enthusiastic about about Scott Reedy. I think that, you know, you notice that once he got back to the NHL, he scored 18 goals in the American Hockey League and showed a lot of promise for Roy Somers' team, kind of earned his way to get a chance. And then every time Bob Bugner threw him on the ice, he did something that, that I thought was, was good. He um, used his size, his lanky frame, got into areas where he was causing screens for the goaltenders, sometimes on the power play, getting out of the way before the shot got there. That's a real skill. And making good decisions on the boards and, and, and in tough areas. And the fact that Bob Bugner never sat him, he pretty much played him all the way down the stretch of the season, shows you that, um, as Bob Bugner said himself, he has a lot of time for him. And that's because of the way that he plays. So those are two of the guys that, that, that come to mind for me as to people that I got enthusiastic about. A couple of other people, too, that, you know, just sort of jump in. Um, you look at uh, Jasper Weatherby. Had some good moments and had some moments where he had to take a, a seat and watch. Uh, that's pretty, pretty typical. Uh, you know, you compare him to Reedy. That's probably the main difference is that Reedy seemed to be just a little bit further along. And then uh, one of the great stories of the year. He's in his late 20s, but Jacob Megna, what, what, a, what a season he had. The fact that he started as the captain of the Barracuda and then got to the Sharks because of all the injuries, because of COVID and all the craziness we've had to deal with this, this last nine months and ended up earning the trust of the team and, and showing that he could play with, with top four players. That, to me, was one of the great stories of the year. And, you know, I could go on and on about some of the other guys, but those are a couple of things that jump out at me. Yeah, Brett, we go back to the development camp scrimmage in last summer, and I remember all of us were a little bit, once again, kind of underwhelmed by Ryan Merkley, especially after him being disappointing the year before, and he even acknowledged that he was eating poorly and he needed to be better with his fitness habits, and then he comes in when the first COVID outbreak happens on October 30th, and immediately looked like he could play at the NHL level and continue to show that throughout the year. What changed so drastically in him? And then also, were you surprised by the depth of the blue line that the Sharks showed they had? Well, when it comes to Ryan Merkley, I mean, you can clearly see that he has the th thought process to, um, or I, what I like to call the processor. It's like a computer processor, right? I mean, there's there are certain computers that run a little bit quicker than others and some that are real slow. And I think when it comes to Ryan Merkley's processor, I mean, he absolutely has a high-end processor. He can think the game at a high level. 
But it's interesting that when he said to uh, about himself is that his eating habits and his training habits are some of the things that he's got to improve upon. Now, that's a head scratcher for me. I mean, that's when I watch him play. That's what I see. I see a guy that has the tools. He's got the thought processor uh, to be able to play this game at the NHL level. Uh, but I see a guy that, you know, doesn't really understand yet. And I say yet, because you can always figure this out. And some guys have, a, you know, the wake up call sooner than others. Um, but boy, he had an opportunity this year. I mean, he got a chance to come in and COVID hit and he comes in and plays some pretty good hockey early on. I remember that Calgary series or the Calgary game up in Calgary early in the year. And he, he had a terrific hockey game. And I think, you know, when you watch him play, you know, he'll do things that, you know, you just go, wow, what, how did he see that passing angle or how did he see that player being open? And then you say, oh man, why, why did he wait, hold on to that puck that long? So those are things for me, but it'll all really start and be predicated on his eating habits and his training habits um, is what he really wants to do with his career. He just needs to decide, you know, decide on whether you want to be an NHL hockey player at the highest level. Uh, you've only got a window, okay? You're you're going to be a professional athlete for a small window of your life. That's it. And, you know, when you're done, when it's all over and you're looking back on that window, what did you do? Did you do everything you possibly could to be the best player that you could possibly be in that window? And if the answer is yes, then boy, you know what? You can put kick your feet up and watch the sunset and say, you know what? I, I did everything I could. But you don't want to be that guy that looks back at that window and says, boy, I wish I could have. I, I, I think I could have given more. I think I could have eaten better. I think I could have trained harder. You know, and so for me right now, I think that's the decision that that Ryan Merkley has to make. But without question, you know, guys like Jacob Magna and Nick Malash, two players that pop out at me that really made an impact. Obviously, um, you know, Jake Middleton prior to him getting moved to Minnesota was a, a revelation as well. But those are two guys, Magna and Malash, that that I think take, took a lot of steps forward. I think they need to, again, look at this season as understanding what they need to do this summer to train a specific way to come back and really now let that that ceiling that they got to this year be their new floor and and really drive forward from there but uh, that's just on the defensive side but really fun to watch some of these guys progress brett i want to stick at defense for a second and talk about two other blue liners for the sharks and brent burns and eric carlson both these guys eat up minutes as much as you throw at them. Um, you know, Brent Burns is obviously in the midst of an Ironman streak. I mean, is it beneficial for both of them to be eating the minutes they are? I know that Burns is a fitness freak, but at the same time, you know, a father time is undefeated. He's 37 years old. And then with Eric Carlson, you know, I know his pride is such that he wants to be out there as much as possible, but you also have to juxtapose that with the consistent injuries over his entirety of his time with the Sharks. Yeah, you know, Bernsey, for me, you know, I think when you look at him getting shots on goal over the last few years, he's been one of the leaders. And then this year really tapered off. But but he played a real solid game defensively, I thought. Him and Mario Ferraro, and he's had their, their partners throughout the, this season. But, 
you know, I thought he played a real good season defensively. I really do. I, I think he's taken some strides there, even though he's in his, you know, mid to you know, later thirties. Um, I, I think he's a player that, you know, would, because of his fitness, he's able to play, you know, 22, 25 or more minutes a night and, you know, do that in three games and four nights and have no problem with it. And I think that just speaks to his, not only his physical ability, but his mental ability. That's not easy to do. Now he has his off nights like that. We all do. Uh, when you're playing that many minutes, you just can't do it. And when you're relied upon, you know, late in a hockey game, after you've played three and four nights and you've played 25 minutes, you're going to make some mistakes. But I think that's where the Sharks, if they can get deeper on the defensive side or even, you know, these other players that we've talked about can take more of those minutes. Brent Burns is going to be fresher at the end of the night and he's going to be able to make those plays in overtime or wherever you need him coming down the stretch of a hockey game that can really make a difference. So, you know, it's really not on Burnsy. It's more on the team and, and finding ways of having other guys, you know, play more minutes and, and take those minutes away from Brent Burns. Uh, as far as Eric Carlson you know, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, confused by him. Obviously, he's a high-end talent. Um, one of the guys that, you know, you look at one of the best players in the world. I mean, he's he's paid like one of the best players in the world. So you, that comes with expectations. That's unfortunate for, for Eric Carlson. But I think he's okay with those expectations. I think for me, you know, when you talk and you ask or make a statement about body language, um, that I pick up on. Yeah, I, I think body language for me is something that has to get better for Eric Carlson. You know, if you really want to self-assess at the end of a season when you haven't won a Stanley Cup as a group, and I think that's what, and I leave that as a, a predicator to, you know, when I would finish a season and I didn't win the Stanley Cup, you better take a hard look at yourself and say, why didn't I win the Stanley Cup this year? Or why didn't I help my team win a Stanley Cup? And if I didn't win the Stanley Cup, what do I need to do to to get this team or make this team better next year. And for me, Eric Carlson has to take a hard look at himself and realize that, you know, he can be a better leader. He can be a guy that can pick guys up. Um, his body language at times this year was difficult to watch because he seems to, you know, point the finger a little bit, but overall it's uh, these are great players to have in your roster. Eric Carlson is a phenomenal hockey player and really look forward to watching more of him in the future. And then clearly Brent Burns as well as a, is, is a world-class athlete and great player himself. And Dan, obviously we heard Joe Will talk about him being bullish on what we can expect to see in the future from a Mark Edward Vlasic. And I thought he was definitely better over the second half of the year and really seemed to find his game more than he did in the first half. What, what did you see out of Vlasic towards the end of the year? What changed in his game that suddenly allowed him to be more of the player that we know he can be? I just think he, he seemed more mentally engaged day by day. I think that that he he got into a rhythm where he could pace himself for playing 15 minutes a game instead of what he used to in the in the early to mid 20s. And and I'm not really sure um, exactly what was going on there, but um, he says that he loves playing here and he likes playing for Bob Bugner and enjoys the organization and all that. Um, it's an interesting kind of a story when, you know, when you go from one stage of your career to the other, how you adjust to it when you're used to being in the top four. And in his case, even the top two um, on a team and playing all those tough minutes against all the best players. And then you're emotionally asked to change your role. Some guys take a while to adjust to that. And I think in his case, he's probably done that a little bit. And 
uh, gotten to a point where where at least he's contributing and doing what he needs to do. And that's why Joe's bullish on him, because uh, because when he is, um, you know, applying that when he's in a good frame of mind, he's uh, still a very effective player. Uh, maybe not a, a 25 minute guy, maybe not a guy that's uh, that's in your top two, but still somebody that could provide and help a team win. Uh, that's the way I see it with him. Uh, Hetty, what about you on pickles? Um, yeah, it, this is a, a one I'm really had a hard time with this year because I've seen him play so many great hockey games. I mean, when him and Justin Braun were a pair, I mean, they just, it, it, I can only imagine being in that locker room before a game and looking over at Pickles and Vlasic or Pickles and Braun and going, you know what? You don't have to worry about those two guys being ready. And if they're going to shut down the other team's top line, you know, it's just one of those things you didn't have to think twice about. It was just going to happen. Um, where, you know, the last few years with Vlasic, you, if I'm sitting in that locker room, I'm going, boy, am I, is, is he going to give you what you really need tonight? And that's a, that's a problem. You know, when you get a guy that's making a lot of money and I don't want to put this on money factor, but that's a guy that's taking up a lot of salary within your, your salary cap structure. Um, and you expect him to be able to really go out there and, and play that style. Um, a guy that can shut down other teams' top lines. And, and that's something that has taken a step back. And I think it really comes down to, if you look back at Doug Wilson last year, and what he said to him and over the last couple of years coming into this year is his conditioning needed to get better. Mm -hmm. And that's something that for me as a player that's making as much as him, that, that shouldn't have to be set. That, that has to be a standard of excellence for Mark Edward Vlasic um, that he has to set for himself and know that when he trains in the summer, that he trains with the thought process of being elite, um, an elite athlete that goes out and is predictable night in and night out and not unpredictable. Um, that's where I kind of got it with, with Vlasic was he was just unpredictable this year. And frankly, I'd like to see more from him. I, I think he's a great hockey player. I think he can continue to be a great hockey player for this team. It's just going to have to really fall on the shoulders of Mark Edward Vlasic to know that he has to get extremely serious at this time of his life if he wants to continue to play the NHL level in this window of his life. Going back to that window of time that I talked about earlier, you don't want to be Mark Edward Vlasic, you know, a few years from here now out of the league and not, you know, looking back and saying, gosh, I could have done a little bit more because I, this is a fun game. This is an incredible opportunity and privilege to play NHL hockey. And uh, boy, I'd sure love to see him get back to his form and, and it would really help the Sharks to, to get back into a playoff scenario. Dan, Brett alluded to the messaging that we heard from Doug Wilson previously, and we heard that that messaging had been applied to Timo Meyer. He obviously came in after having a rough, shortened 2021 season, 56 games, not looking like himself till the last couple of weeks of the season. Obviously, he was hot out the gates this year, had the best year of his career. One player who I'm wondering if is being sent that come to Jesus message is Kevin LeBanc, who obviously missed all of this year, most of this year with the shoulder injury. And now we see that he was not on par to have a great season either. I mean, everybody looks back at him, what he did in 2018 and 2019 or th that year, the 2018, 2019 season, and he hasn't been able to get back there. 
Well, if I can be specific, they're not only looking back to the 2018-19 season, but they're also looking at a five-minute period in game seven against Vegas. That's yeah. really what they're looking at. And that's something that, that you can't do uh, normally over an 82-game schedule, but you have to have your moments when you're doing it. You have to be more consistent in the way you play. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big year for, uh, for Kevin LeBanc next season. And, you know, we will see exactly um, where he's going to be. I mean, let's assume that he's, that, that he's with the San Jose Sharks next year after the decisions they make, which I think he probably will be. Um, he's going to have to make sure that, that, that he's absolutely dedicated to, to rehabbing um, his, his shoulder, which he seems to be doing. He has to make sure he does all of the extra things and gets used to what they call a new shoulder, the fact that, that mm-hmm. his body is not going to work quite the same way, and he's got to adjust to that. He's got the hands and he's got the, uh, um, the ability to make big plays. But I'd say that, uh, you know, I'm going to take a, a back seat to him and see, you know, a wait and see kind of a, a mode to see exactly how he responds physically um, to what he's had to deal with this year. And next season, he's got to step it up and he's got to become, in my mind, a top six forward if he can be for this team. If he can't, then he's got to make sure that he takes on that role of being that third line guy that, that provides some of that offense that we talked about but does all of the other things that's necessary to help the team win. And that's, you know, that's the process, you know, Bob Bugner was talking about that with, with Ryan McLeod of, of the Edmonton Oilers. He said he was a, a superstar in junior and now he's a fourth liner in the NHL, but he's mm-hmm. learned to adjust to that and still make those adjustments. I think that's what a lot of players have to go through during their career. And we'll see what happens with Kevin LeBanc over the course of the next nine months. Brett, is it a matter of, having that moment of motivation from an organization to a player, or does LeBanc have to find this on his own? Well, you know, I'm look back at that 2018, 19 season Kevin LeBanc had where he played 82 games. That's pretty darn good. You know, I mean, to play every game in the, in the, in the, the uh, season had 17 goals, 39 assists that year. But if I remember correctly, the team really wanted him to work on his skating and they, sent him to, um, you know, the skating coach there and worked on the treadmill and really uh, Karen or um, Kathy Andrade. And, uh, and I would say that, you know, she did a great job of being able to um, get his skating ability at the higher level. But, you know, my question is, is what did he do the next couple of years between? Did he continue mm-hmm. on that path? Because just for, for me personally, I know the things that I needed to work on that I had to get better at. I didn't just do it one season and that was it. It was now next season I'm doubling down. And then the next season I'm going back after it again. And the next season and the next summer and, and the, the more times I went back and worked out in the summer and even during the year, the better I got. And so that's going through now what, uh, what Kevin LeBanc has gone through with a shoulder injury and the physical training it's going to take him to get back is hopefully going to leave a mark in his brain to know that, Hey, I don't want to go back there again. I don't want to get injured again. Like I got injured before I better be more ready now than I've ever been in my life. So not like, not that an injury can be helpful, but once that injury has happened, how can that injury leave a mark that's going to make him better? And I think, I hope that he's taking this opportunity to really reflect and be able to see that, okay, I need to get better. I need to get stronger. I got to get my skating ability back to where it was. And that means I've got to work at it. And if Kevin LeBanc can do all of those things, 
he's going to be a very productive goal scorer for the Sharks. If he does not, it's going to be a long, you know, run for him uh, to the injury uh, ward for him. He's got to train harder. He's got to go to where he's never gone before uh, in his future play with the Sharks. Dan, we look at next year and we think, okay, LeBanc comes back and you think you're, you've got Eklund and you, you look at Bordalo and a lot of people are looking at as, you know, being three big pieces that could really help the offense. But is that too, I mean, we don't know that Eklund and Bordalo will be, you know, up there all, all next year. That's, that's, um, you know, a enth- enthusiastic take, but maybe not the accurate one. LeBanc, there are obviously expectations. Um, and, and can this offense get back going next year? Because obviously, you know, the defense did a pretty good job over the course of the year. The penalty kill did its job. The net minding was pretty good. It was the inability to score that hampered the Sharks game in, game out. Yeah, they keep talking about 40 more goals. That's what they need. And of course, you hope to get some of that from Kevin LeBanc. You hope that some of these uh, that young kids are able to take that next step. But you know, as well as I do, uh, Ted, that this is uh, more like a stock market chart. There's ticks up and then there are ticks down. There are, there are upward trends, downward trends in the whole process to becoming that player you want to be. I mean, we're not, we're not necessarily sure that Thomas Bordalo is going to be with the Sharks at the beginning of next year. He might be with the San Jose Barracuda. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with Eklund. These, these are guys that may need to see some time and marinate. Let's not forget that Logan Couture spent half a season in the American Hockey League and didn't look like an NHL player when he started and then became one of the best players in the AHL before he got the opportunity. Joe Pavelski, same thing. He, he spent 25, 26 games in the AHL. Uh, before that, even after he showed promise uh, as a shark. So um, you know, let's let's not uh, get overly expectant of what these guys are going to definitely provide, but just hope that uh, that they they take what they learned this year. And I think that was one of the advantages of Bordalo coming in. He now knows exactly what he's got to do. He's got to get stronger without question. He's a bit slight. Same thing with Eklund. They both figured out uh, that they can navigate intellectually in the NHL they can skate they can make plays but they also have to deal with with the strength factor and the other thing same thing with Jonathan Dolan being able to get through an 82 game schedule it's a grind Mm -hmm. it's really difficult and I think that that that's a learning process that uh, those uh, first two guys Eklund and Bortolo are going to go through again next year because they've never played 82 games before in the case of Dolan this is the first time he's gone through that and I think that he's got a, a big list, to, as Kevin LeBanc does, of things to do in the summer to get, to get ready for the coming season. And they really need those players that I mentioned to, to step in and actually take that next move forward. They need to get the leadership from Meyer and Couture and, and Hurdle and players like that. But uh, these guys, I think, are the key to getting more goals. Brett, I always look at it as not a, a fallacy, but a dangerous thought process to look at a team that is not concrete and say, okay, we can look at what they were this year and look at what they'll be next year. And like Dan alluded to, the, the 40 goals that are lacking, because when when it was the primetime Sharks of the previous era where they were a playoff contender, a title contender every year, you had a very good idea of saying, okay, this is what was there last year. These are the deficiencies. These are known quantities. We know what we're going to get from Joe Pavelski, Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, on and on and on, and apply that to the following season. Can you really do that with this Sharks team and say, oh, yes, this is what this year was. This is what next year should be because, I I mean, I have an idea of what you're going to get from a, a Couture 
a Meyer, a Hurdle, a Burns, and a Carlson. And beyond that, everything gets a little bit more murky. I agree. I, I, I definitely agree with you, Ted. Um, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. I think there was a moment during the season where the defense were really was really banged up. And I just remember the Sharks having a really difficult time to break the puck out. And because of that, their offense really suffered. Now, you know, the defense looks more steady going into next season, you know, barring injury. Um, but even with the defense as stable, you're right. There's only a few guys there that you can really kind of mark her up with, with Meyer, Hurdle, Couture, um, you know, Burns and, and Carlson. I, I agree that those are the guys that are going to probably give you a, a pretty steady stream of offense but you're not going to win with just that many guys. I mean, I think you're in the top six. You, you've, they've got to get, add a couple of players. I think Barabonov did a nice job with Hurdle and Timo Meyer this year. And I think that he's a guy that is going to continue to improve. He's you know, going to be probably 28 next year. He's 27 now. Um, but, you know, you look at Logan Chur, if he's on that second line or vice versa, you know, he's a guy that's going to need some wingers that, that can play at a high level that are NHL you know, bona fide scores, you know, and is if Kevin LeBanc is going to fit in there, hey, great. You know, who's going to be on the other wing that can really help bolster that other line? And then it's fighting that second six, those third and fourth line players, mm -hmm. you know, solidifying it with some guys that have been there before that have NHL experience and filtering in some of these young guys that showed that they could play this year at the NHL level. But, I, you know, this this roster has to get more goals. If it's 40 goals, you're not going to get it from guys that just are learning to play in the National Hockey League. Because no. if, if, if we are those guys, then we would have seen it this year. And we haven't seen that yet from any of them. So there's a lot of work for the next general manager to do here to get this team back to where it needs the goal production, 40 more goals, that's their words, um, back in this roster next year, and it's going to take some work. And you know what? Joe Will was talking about that, too. The idea that all of these teams that have improved all have issues with the salary cap. And that, that's kind of the, the, the big elephant in the room. But uh, each team that's had more success and made improvements has done so by finding value propositions out there, whether it's in the free agent or trade market. And, and that's one of the things that the, uh, the next GM is going to have to do is going to have to find some people who can provide some production that, you know, guys that can play with Logan Couture. I mean, Brett, that's a great point. Um, you know, guys that can play at that higher level to, to maximize what he has. Mm -hmm. And, and that's going to be the situation that they have to do. The, the, the new GM is going to have to find those value propositions that uh, provide you uh, great results for what you're paying. I'll throw this out to either of you. Is it thusly a value proposition to trade James Reimer while he's at his peak to get something back for him that's maybe going to help the offense and rely on a, a Kakanen and a Hill? Or do you worry too much about Hill and his injury status? You know, my belief is, you know, winning uh, and the score takes care of itself. <laughs> Dan has heard me preach this many times. Um, the great Bill Walsh, uh, the late Bill Walsh from the San Francisco 49ers wrote that beautiful book, The Score Takes Care of Itself. Um, and, and what he means by that is, you know, you, you get the right people and you get them pulling the rope together and then the score takes care of itself. So, so for me, if I'm looking at goaltender scenario, uh, Kapo Kakinen, they gave up Jake Middleton, who 
is a great person that you'd want to build an organization. Uh, you want to add him to an organization to build with, right? He's that type of good quality human being. Um, but they get Capo Kakinen back for Middleton. And therefore, I, I've seen nothing but positive stuff from Kakinen. I think he's a good positive guy uh, moving forward. It sounds like he works really hard in practice and a player that's been a good teammate in that locker room. James Reimer, uh, a guy that absolutely is, seems like just a quality human being that you want to have in a, in a, you know, a locker room. I don't know much about Aiden Hill yet, I'll be honest, because he's been in and out of the lineup all season long, as you referenced. Um, so if I'm just going off of what I know, those two players with Kakinen and Reimer are the types of players that you know the score will take care of itself when you have the right attitude. Now, I'm not saying that Aiden Hill doesn't. I'm just saying I don't know enough about Aiden Hill. What I've seen, he's been injured so much this year. It's been a tough year for him physically. And that's something for a young guy that's young. Uh, you know, I, you know, He's a player that's going to have to really look at his training and start to assess on where it's going wrong because he's been injured so much this year. Dan, yeah, where do you I, weigh I, in on this? I, I agree with that. I, I think one of the things the Sharks wanted to, to make big changes to in the last two years was their culture. And when you're talking about James Reimer, he's a guy that really helps the culture. He also helps by being a great teammate to his fellow goaltenders. And, you know, Emil the Cat Francis, who's one of uh, the great personalities in the history of hockey management, once said, you never have enough goaltending. So, um, I'd be I'd be more reticent to, for the for the culture reason and for the experience and goaltending reason for uh, the Sharks to uh, to make a move there at least at this point. Um, you know they do have some young guys coming up. Uh, you know Benjamin Goudreau is a guy that's that we're going to look at in the next couple of years. Uh, they got Zachary Amon and uh, and also Zach Sarchenko at the AHL level that uh, have shown at least maybe that they're, they're improving. Sachenko playing in the in the NHL a little bit, showing he can at least jump in once in a while. But I, I just don't think that 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 they're ready to do that just yet. I think that they they've got to move with a uh, err on the side of caution, so to speak, and and be very cautious because remember the, what the goaltending situation was a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. where the Sharks needed to address that. And right now, their goaltending is is uh, is okay. It's good and. It's not, it's not top five in the league right now, but still it's, it's got the two guys that are on their way up. And what Brett said about, about Aiden Hill is exactly right. I think that we need to see what he's like when he's healthy and when he's uh, uh, trained properly for a full season. And I think he looked at it as a big disappointment because he, he thought he was going to jump in here and be the starting goaltender just like that. And he found out it's a lot harder to do that uh, than perhaps that he thought. So um, that's what James Reimer is there for. He's there to provide that stable insurance to, to the team's goaltending and, and also the great culture. And that's how I look at it. Obviously the, the big, sir, Brett, you're going to jump in just quickly. I, I just think that, you know, yeah, there, I wouldn't think that all three goaltenders with the other ones that you'd mentioned, Dan, uh, in the, in the waitings and even, uh, the kid from Denver, uh, Chroma, right. I, I think there's another opportunity that they've got goaltending waiting there. So when you got three goaltenders that are all NHL ready and that are, you know, capable of playing in the NHL, that's a bargaining chip that they're going to have to use this summer. One of those three guys, um, you know, and they just have to be able to take advantage of that because they've got to get other players, uh, as we've talked about in the, in the top six and, and in the second six. Yeah. They need the money too. Yeah. 
we look at those decisions that we're alluding to, and we don't know if it's going to be Joe Will or the new GM that makes these decisions. You know, it's interesting that whoever is the GM will almost have an impossible standard to meet in terms of what Doug Wilson did. You know, the Sharks were one of the premier organizations in North American sports for the better part of two decades. Um, you know, you can do everything right and end up with the wrong answer. That's my you know conclusion of why the Sharks were unable to win a Stanley Cup over that stretch. But it's hard to argue with the many, many deep runs they made. It does the next GM always almost seem set up to fail because of what the standard was for so long, or is is there a way for a new GM to carve out his his own place in Sharks and Bay Area and you know North American sports history? I don't know about you, Brett, but I think that it, it is a tough job. There's no doubt because it's not going to be a five-year rebuild where they trade out all the roster and just try to accumulate lottery picks for five years. This is a team that's still trying to compete. The expectation is to get back to the playoffs after missing for three years. And so it's, it's a very challenging job, but to, in my mind, it's doable, but yet it is, it is very, very challenging. And, uh, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what decisions are made. Brett, yeah, no, I think the look, Doug Wilson has done incredible things with this organization for a long time. And this organization has been a, a pinnacle of, you know, what you aspire to be in the NHL uh, as far as the playoff success. And then, you know, the unfortunate thing that they never got that Stanley Cup. Um, you know, I think when you look at the next GM that's going to come in here, I think there's huge opportunity to be able to take the foundation uh, and to use maybe that phrase I used earlier um, and let that, you know, ceiling that Doug Wilson got this organization to um, be the new floor. And if we can think of it that way as an organization right down the line from the secretaries to the trainers, to the players that, you know, we, we took this to the certain level but now we, we and, and we've built it on the foundation that Doug had got us to. Um, and I think that's incredible, incredibly powerful um, when thought about the next level of building on top of that foundation that Doug created, I think is exciting. Um, there's something there. There's something to the players that have already been that are here. Uh, you know, the guys like Tomas Hurdle and Timo Meyer and Eric Carlson and Logan Couture and, you know, these players that you can build around and Brent Burns. Um, there's a lot of potential there that can still be built upon. And I think it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take effort. Um, and it's going to take a lot of really hard looks in the mirror for every player in this organization to know that they've got to give more. They have to, they have to train harder. They have to look at their career differently. They've got to push themselves to another level that they've never gone to before. Clearly, whatever they've done to this point hasn't worked. Okay. We haven't been sipping champagne the last game of the year in the locker room, celebrating the Stanley cup together, period. That's the standard. And if you haven't gotten there to this point, then you better take a hard look at yourself in the mirror and know that you've got to do, go harder. You've got to train harder. You've got to eat better. You've got to do all the things, mental game. You've got to train that side of your body and, and the mental brain that to, to get you in tough moments to drive through. These are things that this organization has an opportunity to do now. 
And not that they didn't before. I'm just saying it's the it's an opportunity to build on the foundation that Doug Wilson has created. I'm really glad that you said that, Brett, because it's really an amazing career that Doug forged with the Sharks. Think about it, two decades. And and part of what we're, we're seeing is the price of being that good for that long in that uh, the Sharks made a couple of moves with top draft picks and, you know, weren't able to replenish for a couple of years going for it all, which, you know, you expect you're going to do when you're there. And then, you know, now the last couple of years, we've seen some light at the end of the tunnel with some of the draft picks that, that are starting to, to cycle through and, and get into the organization. So, um, you know, that's the foundation that was built. You know, Doug made this place a place where people wanted to come to play. And, you know, this was an expansion situation that, you know, that turned into a, you know, for uh, in the Dean Lombardi years, a tough team to play against. But uh, Doug took it to that next level with the players that he had and brought in. And, and now that this next general manager, as Brett said, is going to build on that. And, and that's really exciting. And again, I, I can't tell you how interesting this is going to be because you've got players like Logan Couture and Eric Carlson and Brent Burns. These guys want to win. Timo Meyer wants to be a winner. They want to be part of the solution. Tomas Hurdle doesn't didn't sign an eight year contract to uh, to just collect a check for the next eight years and score thirty goals and and you know go back to uh, to the Czech Republic in the summer. They want to. Uh, they want to win the Stanley cup. And that's what I see from these guys, but now they're getting to that point where uh, they've also jumped into the point where there's no Patrick Marlowe. There's no Joe Thornton. There's no Joe Pavelski anymore. And these guys have taken over. And so this is their big chance to a big opportunity to, to have that moment in the sun. And I think that, uh, you know, that realization of that opportunity is going to be really exciting to see how it all works out. Brett, some final thoughts for you as we head into what is going to be one of the most interesting and impactful off-seasons in the history of this franchise. Yeah, it is. It's going to be uh, a huge summer. Um, I know Jonathan Becker and Joe Will in this process of trying to find the next general manager for the San Jose Sharks. Um, uh, you know, they've got, I'm sure, a plethora of, of potential you know, guys that are, uh, or gals that can fit into this new role. Um, but I really, truly believe that this is a huge opportunity for this organization to just reset and to be able to, to all give them ourselves that hard look and to say, okay, how can we all get better? Okay. Let's, let's stop doing what we've done and, and pivot a little bit. It might just be a small pivot. But we, we clearly have been traveling down a road that hasn't gotten us to the promised land. Believe me, there's no better feeling, folks, ever in this lifetime that I've felt, the, the emotions that you had, ups and downs of everything, to feel drinking from the Stanley Cup with your teammates and your coaches and the, your people in the organization and the scouts and every, pe every person that's had an impact of, of sipping champagne from the Stanley Cup. There's no better feeling than that. And, but at this moment of the San Jose Sharks organization, we have an opportunity right now to pull this together, to self-assess, to really look at ourselves and say, gosh, dang it, we need to get better and let's all get better together. So I, I'm excited. I'm excited about their, their opportunity to um, whoever they choose um, and, and the work that's going to be done to get this team uh, built off of what Doug Wilson has created. Dan, your final thoughts on the precipice of probably the biggest offseason in Sharks history. 
It, it certainly is. I, I think that, as Brett said, I'm really excited to see where this goes because you know that the Sharks organization is going to make the right choice in the general manager search. They will professionally handle it. They will uh, leave no stone unturned. They will consider all of the options and they will pick the truly best person to, uh, to take that position. I think the players also feel a little responsibility. It's, you know, you hear them at the end of the season talking about um, how much it, they're missing the fact that they're not going to the playoffs and not playing for the Stanley Cup. And they're probably feeling that right now as, as we uh, record this during the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs with other teams having all of these great moments and things that they'll never, never forget. And what we have for the, for the Sharks players is just sort of a, a forgettable summer that's dedicated to trying to get back there. But they want to make it an unforgettable summer. They want to mm-hmm. make it that uh, a summer where uh, they can look back at, in September when it's time for training camp and say, we've done absolutely everything we can, each individual player, to, to, uh, to be there for each other as they were this, this past season. I think that was a good step forward, the way the guys played together. So now it's time to take the next step and uh, to, to congeal that, to, to uh, dedicate yourself to, to being better and to making sure that you're absolutely ready, healthy, and prepared for what's going to be a, a very challenging year. And, you know, every, every NHL season is. I can't wait to, to have that opportunity to stand there with a Stanley Cup champion, Brett Hedekin, and drink the cup, a uh, drink out of the Stanley Cup uh, with some champagne at some point. But it's a long road to get there. And that's part of the, the greatness of this. The fact that, you know, you when you get to that point, you're going to be able to look around and see how many people it took to get there, how many people made such a contribution to get there. And, and I'm looking forward to all of that. Gentlemen, I thank you so much for your time. I know we'll be talking a bunch over the summer, the draft and free agency uh, near in our future. And then plus, we'll probably be uh, texting a lot about some fun playoff hockey. But thank you so much. We'll talk soon. All right. All right. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Ted. Thanks, Brett. Thank you all for joining us on this roundtable discussion, and there will be much more content coming your way as we look back on the season that was and the big offseason ahead. Again, a big thank you to Dan Rusinowski and Brett Hedekin. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey, signing off. This podcast can be found for download under Sharks Hockey Digest on iTunes, Google, and Spotify. And on demand anytime on the Sharks Plus SAP Center app presented by Western Digital. All music by Yogi Yend.